0: Good Monday morning, everyone! Oh my goodness, I can't believe it's September! Oh my goodness, you guys, it's still as hot as hell outside. Okay, there's no September-like feeling here in Texas. But you guys, listening to author talk with me, Amy Russell, Dina Ray, and Meg Hofdial today is our author guest. So you guys, let's just dive into the weekend. Mine has been jam-packed. Last week was super busy for me and it was a little difficult. I lost a near and dear family member last week, which was a little difficult that we're kind of overcoming and having that conversation with my daughters. But on top of that, UT beat Alabama. So Russell is super happy. Okay. And everyone, oh my gosh, I am an Alabama fan. So that was a sad, sad moment, but I am still on my house journey on moving and doing all of that. I looked at a bunch of houses last week and this weekend I finally got my trampoline moved back from my patio into my like green space and everything like that in my backyard. But, you know, other than that, we're just steamrolling ahead. Josh will be at GPA this year, which is like an oil and gas convention, doing a presentation. So he's been gearing up for all of that. So September is moving by quickly for me. But what all did everybody else do last week, this weekend, just, you know, so far this month? Russell. First.
1: Okay. Right. Now. Over the last several weeks, we had to listen to Amy's version of two-year-old's birthdays. Yes. And it's been like going to the dentist. Ah, So this weekend, (laughs) I flew to Houston for the twin two-year-old granddaughter's birthday. And the whole family was there. It was like a convention. And it was wonderful, except for... I got to tell you, it was like a hurricane hit town with uh-huh. these twins at a birthday. Mm-hmm. And uh, we wrecked one restaurant. Then we went and met to watch UT crush Alabama. And the twins, oh, my gosh, they went crazy in the bar. Uh, it was quite a weekend. I'm so tired I can barely move now. But it's a great weekend.
2: Okay, I and I'll just that. say it. You have a baby in a bar.
1: <laughs> we had multiple babies in a bar.
0: I love it. And
1: they had, they had the karaoke stage ready to go for after the game. So that's where the babies decided they were going to turn it into their playground. I'd have been embarrassed if I hadn't been the grandfather. But since Ow. I was the grandfather, it wasn't my problem.
0: No, you can't even say that. I've gotten to the point where I'm at the grocery store and my kids are arguing over some toy and they're screaming and you have flicked one because she just won't shut up and you flick her. You don't even hit her. And then she acts so dramatic as if life's over. She screams down every aisle. And now as a mom, I just keep going. Or I literally take her out of the cart and leave my cart and I'll come back another day. Like it just, you keep moving. It's how it rolls.
2: Yeah, exactly. Well, Mm -hmm. um on tuesday i twisted my ankle i actually thought i broke it because it was so swollen and i couldn't walk and i was limping around and i had to break out the crutches and then i realized it's been three years since i've been on crutches and like my arms hurt so bad so i decided i was going to stay in bed all weekend just prop up my ankle so i uh i did finish up this one book project for an author and then uh, i just pretty much stayed in bed all weekend with my leg propped up I read uh, The King of Late Night by Greg Gutfeld, and that was hilarious. I laughed a lot and watched plenty of The Mustache, which is Tom Selleck, because, you know, no one does a mustache quite like Tom Selleck.
0: I know. That man is dreamy. I love him.
2: And then got up, and
0: my limp is gone.
2: The swelling is just about down, and I don't have to go and get a cast put on my ankle.
0: Yay, me. So and that's it. I like it. I like it. Meg, what did you do?
3: Um, well, I'm later this month, um, my co-author Kelly and I were going to the South Dakota Book Festival. So I've been working on a lot of like Google Slides for presentations. I'm actually going to be doing three different presentations. So I've been just working on those. And then I had a lovely weekend because my husband and my sons went camping Um, And left me here. So uh, it was a nice, quiet house and watched some movies and read and went out and went shopping. And it was just like me time. So I can't complain. I'm feeling very rested this morning.
1: Where's the South Dakota book show?
3: Um, Actually, I'm doing an event in Rapid City. And then the rest of it is in Deadwood, which will be really fun.
1: That is going to be awesome.
3: I'm really excited. (laughs) Yeah. I read lots
1: of books set in Deadwood. What's that? I read lots of books set in Deadwood.
3: Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. So.
1: So I got to thank our podcast listeners. Most people listen to us during the week on our podcast, not on our live show. Uh, we thank you. We're top 10 independent book cast in the United States, and we're very humbled by it. Amy, where can people find us?
0: Yes. So you can find us anywhere that you can look for a podcast, you guys. Amazon, iTunes, Google, Spotify, Good Pods, all of those, and so much more is where you can find us. But like Russell says, we are still <laughs> shocked and amazed and having so much fun doing this. We're on eight years, Russell, coming up on nine, I guess, here in the new year. So it's been so much fun to do and have fun conversations and meet so many amazing authors. And we're currently booked all the way through to November, which is exciting. So the holiday season, you guys, I know it's only September, but I'm in holiday mode. So I don't know if anybody else has been Christmas shopping, but I have.
1: Can you give us an update on the 12 days? Tell us what it is again and how people can find it.
0: Yes. So the 12 days of page charters is 12 days of authors and they're doing a holiday promotion. So it will be live on all of my channels on author talk all for the 12, the first 12 days of December. So this year we have over 50 authors that are like participating and they all have a special giveaway promotion that they're running this holiday season. So we're going to be doing that. I've been gearing up getting ready for it. Decorating my office because you know I have to be ahead of the game. Okay, so I I hope
1: so because apparently your office is a wreck right now because you have a cover on it again. So I'm just observing. Technically, that's not. not,
0: It's technically not true. Okay, I just didn't want to get crap from you, Russell, because I've already decorated for Christmas in my office. Okay, you wouldn't get crap
1: from me because you're
0: doing. You're getting ready for the 12 days. (laughs) I am, but. I'm also, you know, I have other stuff around my house, too, because I like Halloween. My daughters wants to be Lilo and Stitch. I'm trying to convince them to be bluey grandma versions, but they want to be Lilo and Stitch, and I love that. So my outside's decorated for Halloween, but when you come inside, it's like it's Christmas time, okay? I'm Christmas shopping already. I have all of those things getting ready. For the twelve days, because that does take up the first twelve days of December. But it's gonna be a lot of fun. We have a lot of new authors this year, new holiday promotions. We have several promotions that's an entire landing page and pretty much everything is is discounted or on sale. So make sure to join us for the twelve days and just meet some amazing authors, get some new books, the best gifts you can give this holiday season is a new book to the reader in your life. But you know and other they're not than all that, holiday books. It's not all holiday books. No, it's all kinds of books. I actually have a lot of horror books this year, um, or a lot of horror authors that are doing a lot of promotions and stuff this holiday season. So it's going to be a lot of fun. I don't know about anybody else. I like to read horror around the holiday times because the holiday times (laughs) is like a horror show. It's crazy. So I like (laughs) to go to the non-crazy world, which is horror. But speaking of horror, Dina Rae, let's get Meg talking about all of her books and what it was like, Meg, I'm curious to know what that moment was like for you when you found out that you and Kelly were a brimstoker Stoker nominee that oh. congratulations on it. That has to be amazing.
3: Thank you. Yeah. It's surreal. It's, it's really cool. Um, you know, there's something about being honored in that way and, you know, knowing that your book resonates with people and, um, our book that was nominated um, the Science of Women and Horror. We worked really hard on it. It was something kind of a labor of love and um, it's something that we feel really passionate about, which is female representation and diverse representation and horror. So it felt good that um, yeah, it got some it got some accolades and that and that is always nice and uh, it's like the cherry on top. so yeah.
2: And that was for the the women or the science of women and horror. Yes. Yep. And are they nonfiction? I'm going to assume.
3: Yes. So um, I write fiction and nonfiction. Um, We just had our sixth nonfiction book come out Um, and it's all sort of in the vein of um, we come at horror films and horror books and horror TV shows from sort of a scientific angle a research angle um and so we're kind of research nerds and so we like to uh uh study things and learn things and share it with the reader and so it's been it's it's a dream job i will definitely say
2: (laughs) so and and the new one is about agatha christie or it's
3: yes that's right so um We wrote The Science of Stephen King a couple of years ago, and that book has proven to be our most popular uh, book. And I think, you know, readers love to read more about who they love. And, you know, I think for us, we have definitely stayed in sort of the horror uh, genre, but Agatha Christie, I call her horror adjacent. Um, She is the queen of crime, and it just made sense to write a book about sort of partly about her biography. And about her books, and sort of you know discovering how how well she was at uh, nailing the science in her books, all the poison, all the uh, the clues, and it's been uh, just really fun.
2: Yeah, because she was she's like the the queen of murder suspense. Yeah, everyone else is an also ran.
0: <laughs> yes, so.
3: yes. Well, it's funny too because. You know, when I'm out selling books or I'm interviewing, a lot of people will kind of have like a, a visceral, visceral reaction to horror. The word horror, sometimes people are like, oh, no, 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 I don't do that. I don't, I don't read horror um, or I don't watch it or whatever. But Agatha Christie, even though she's murdering people off, she often has gory scenes. Um, people don't consider her horror. You know, they consider that uh, a cozy mystery. And I just kind of think that's a funny distinction. And um, I, I'm trying to get people into the horror genre. That's, that's what my, my platform, I'm always like, no, it really is a very complicated, interesting, dynamic genre. And so we're hoping to get our, get our claws into people who love Agatha Christie and, and bring them over to the dark side.
0: <laughs>
3: well, Amy's already there. Yes, I don't need to work on
0: Amy. <laughs> no, she does that. From the moment I met Meg and I heard about her dark inheritance and I read it, I was captivated. I mean, I Aww. I haven't had a book in a long time kind of keep me up at night where I'm like, I have to read something happy. Okay, I need puppies and rainbows <laughs> in my life. So, it's uh, yeah, she's to me is the classification of the female version of Stephen King. So, Aww. I'm on the dark side. I'm here. Yay. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Well, um, and has, has um the science of Agatha Christie already been released or is it coming up?
3: Yes, it came out to September 5th. So we're just newly released and we're excited. We had some good timing. There's a new Agatha Christie movie coming out um, this weekend, actually, uh, The Haunting of Venice, which is good timing for us. And it's kind of cool, too, because it just proves how relevant Agatha Christie is even now. Um. And I don't know, we're really excited to sort of get maybe younger people or people who've never heard of Agatha Christie um, to hopefully pick up this book. I know I've I've had some readers of it say like, I want to go back and reread certain books or read books I haven't read. And that's always really
0: exciting for us. Okay, I'm going to be completely honest. And I know I feel like everybody on this call is going to give me crap, but it's okay. Okay. Um, I had to Google when I first heard about Agatha Christie, I had to Google her cause I had no idea who she was. I'm not, <laughs> even, I know Russell, I see your face. I know, <laughs> I know. Okay. I had to Google her, but then I was like, Oh, okay. I like, I know some of her, her books and I've seen her covers and stuff. I just hurt. I didn't recognize her name, but I am the youngest one on this call. So I don't feel awful. Okay. About I don't feel
1: 40 years.
2: Right.
0: I'm okay.
1: I <laughs> See, don't I'm you. not the only one that says that now. <laughs> hey, uh, Meg, would you explain a little bit who Agatha Christie was sure. for the Amy generation? Sure.
3: <laughs> yes. So, um, Agatha Christie was a very prolific author. So she wrote a ton. Um, she's also known as a very famous dramatist. She wrote plays and novels and short stories. Um, she is British and she came up in, you know, the, the 1920s, thirties, forties. Um, she wrote all the way until the end of her life up into the seventies, I believe. And she has only been outsold by the Bible and Shakespeare. So she is number three after those two, she sold 2 billion books and, um, she sort of, not only created many of the tropes that we're used to today and in sort of crime mystery fiction, but she also did such a great job of sort of deconstructing them too, and sort of taking the tropes and turning them on their head. She had really good twist endings. Um, She did so many cool things for the genre. And uh, as Dina said, it's kind of like, she's the queen. And then everybody else kind of, you know, it's not that she started, the crime genre, but she very much defines it. And she has two very famous characters, her her cool Poirot and Mrs. Marple. And one of my favorite things about those two characters is that they are above the age of 50. And um, when you think about, you know, the books that we read and the books that are sort of famous. Um, that's not always the case, and so she, and she started writing them as that age when she was in her twenties and thirties. Um, so she kind of aged with them, and and it's been it's a very cool process to watch within within her books. But she also wrote standalone books that don't have those characters in them, and she has a couple other reoccurring characters who aren't quite as famous. But that's kind of a a little. Um, preview and she also wrote mousetrap which is the longest running play uh ever so um she's she's quite a formidable woman and she did all that um as a mother and you know going through a divorce and getting remarried and she's she's quite and of course she was um what what's the female version of knighted she was uh she's a lady um as well um I don't know what you call that. Are you ladyed? I'm not sure, but she is that. <laughs> <laughs> oh.
2: Well, I know that, that like, um, like her characters.
3: I believe on, it's like, a
0: dame. Dame. That's what it is a is. dame?
3: Okay. Yeah. It yeah. says the
0: title of dame is the female equivalent as knighted or a knight.
3: And we wrote that in the book, but you know, it left yeah. it left there's only You've done other thing.
0: things since then? <laughs> yeah, know, I get
2: it. I yeah. get it. <laughs> yes, well, you know, know. Miss Marple is is still on and they're doing you know like a series of her I don't watch it. I'm going to put that disclaimer out. There. I don't watch it. Um I have watched a couple of the Peros, And you know, I have of course watched uh Murder on the Orient Express and I don't know, I just when when I think of Agatha Christie, I always think of um, Clue.
3: <laughs> well, you know, uh, there's actually, a, there's a good reason for that. Um, I believe in our research, we found that, um, you know, she inspired, it's called Cluedo in um, Britain, but she she definitely inspired uh, that. And we actually go into the history of, of Clue in our book. Um, she didn't write it, but, it's definitely something that is you know in that same vein for sure
2: yeah it it just has a lot of the feel of you know that yeah. time period you know because her her books i mean you know she died in the 76 so her books are not what you would call current even if they are
1: timeless
3: mm-hmm. yeah
1: so i have a couple of questions I don't mean to interject in Dina's great interview, but this is driving me crazy. Uh, what is, number one, uh, you know, she was one of the barrier breaker women writers. You were talking about you, that that was something you're interested in. During that whole 20s and 30s time when uh, Wolf was out there breaking barriers and she was out there. And so it's kind of a, she's kind of a barrier-breaking author. But what is some of the science that you're talking about in your book? Because I'm kind of interested. Mrs. Marple was, Miss Marple was one. I've watched all the Miss Marple 30s movies. And the second thing I want to ask, did you talk about in your book that disappearance time when she disappeared?
3: Yes, yeah, so first of all, um, yeah, um, Agatha Christie unfortunately doesn't get a lot of the same sort of credit for. Um, busting those barriers, like Virginia Woolf, as you mentioned, um, because she's a genre writer. And as a genre writer, I get it. Um, Oftentimes people feel that that is less than or it's um, not as important. But um, obviously, if anyone reads Agatha Christie, they'll see that she has a lot of literary merit and she also... um, is hilarious and um, just builds suspense so well. As far as the science, I think my favorite thing that we kind of discovered about her is that she worked um, in a pharmacy uh, during World War I, volunteering basically throughout the war. And she came to understand poisons and medications through that job. And um, we came to find that she's very accurate in her books and the way she describes how long it takes somebody to die. And if you've read a lot of Ag- Ag- Agatha Christie, you'll know she uses poisons quite a lot. Um, so, so that actually um, is very accurate um, as, as much as she could. Um, and we have a great story in there about how she ended up saving lives as a, as a pharmacy tech, um, because a pharmacist was making a mistake and she, uh, she didn't want to hurt his ego. So I'll say that she kind of threw some stuff out. So he didn't know that he had made poison by accident. So this all sort of leads into what she ended up writing about, which I think is really cool. Um, and, uh, secondly, your second question was the time,
1: the Am I confused, there was a time when she just disappeared oh, yes. from the scene. yes,
3: yes, yes, um, Yeah, that was actually probably one of my most favorite things to research. Um, so Agatha Christie disappeared for 11 days. Um, it was at the time that she found out her husband was cheating on her, her first husband, uh, with, with a good friend. Uh, she had a small child at the time. I think her daughter, she, she had one daughter. I think she was about maybe four or five at the time. And uh, Agatha, at, at this time, was a famous author. Um, she had already sort of solidified herself. So it was huge news. Um, you know, it was in the New York Times, it was obviously all over Britain. And not only that, but when she disappeared, her car was left sort of in a ditch with the door open. It was very dramatic, um, <laughs> which when I look back on it, it's like she was fine. So um, she left in very dramatic style. She obviously left someone with her daughter. Um, You know, there's been a lot of speculation about what happened those 11 days. Um, Agatha never owned up to exactly what she was up to. Um, I think my personal belief is that she really needed a break and that she was uh, having sort of a a panic reaction to her marriage falling apart, to uh, being the breadwinner um having a small child all these things kind of compounded her mother had passed away recently um but what's really cool is that there are actual movie books speculating on what she was doing for those 11 days um the christie affair i think is a fictional book um there's a movie about that she was off solving a crime at that time which is a really cute idea um she was found at a spa and uh so I'm thinking she was there for 11 days. I hope she was. Um and kind of creepy she, when she went to the spa and wrote her her name, she wanted to write a fake name. She used her the last name of her husband's mistress uh, as her last name. So I think that was kind of her little <laughs> her little dig maybe perhaps. So uh you know, she ended up winning in the end. She became the most famous author in Britain and she married a man 14 years younger than her. And uh, she was a girl so
2: (laughs) I love how you talk about her in the present tense (laughs) because she's, because for you, it seems like she's a fully rounded person still here, not just someone who you read their books. I like yeah, I don't know if you noticed it. I'm just saying. No, I it's funny it.
3: because I think, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think I'm go, I'm doing interviews about her, and and she did become a really fully realized person to me. Um, I always kind of looked up to her. I started reading her books when I was probably about 13 or so, and you know, um, going back to kind of a science-y thing, there there has been research done that we talk about in the book to prove that she had dementia in her last years. Um, And they, the researchers, how they did that is they took her last few books and they proved that her uh, vocabulary had gone down um, compared to books in her earlier part of her, her life. And as I was researching that, because I had sort of, I, I researched the book sort of chronologically because I wanted to read her books chronologically to go with her sort of biography and at that point I was just really miffed because I was like why are we why are we kind of like digging into whether she had dementia or not um she was still fully writing novels um shortly before she died which I think is really impressive and even more impressive if she did have um she had had some issues So I remember feeling like almost like an attack on Agatha uh, because, you know, kind of like, ah, this isn't good. But it's very interesting. We do include it uh, in the book because, uh, you know, it it was it's an interesting sort of way to see how we can maybe find out if people have dementia from their creative works. But it did kind of bother me. So I think at that point I knew, okay Agatha is definitely a real person to me, a a real (laughs) friend
2: real flesh and blood 3d yes well it's it's so strange that you mention her disappearing for 11 days because i had just like within the last 30 45 days i had read something about her disappearance so i mean that's you know kind of kismet type i love
0: that she was found at a spa and that she used his mistress's last name like that's something Amy would do. Like i like, okay, you're going to have that and then, you know, we yep. we're friends, whatever. I'm going to a spa and I'm going to yep. use your name and send you the bill. Like that that would be an Amy thing. I guess so, we yeah.
1: need to get Josh a little warning just in case he ever screws <laughs> up, huh?
0: You know. Yes. He definitely needs that for sure. But I so, love well, that. to
2: to go back to Stephen King, when you wrote the Stephen King book, and you, you say it's, it's like your most popular, um, did you go with the in-depth research to, to flesh out his book as well? Did he become like a, a fully formed entity for you?
3: Oh, yeah. And I mean, I think that had probably happened before that because, again, I started reading him around the same time when I was probably early teenager and um, I will read everything he writes. I love him, and and um, you know, I've, i it's, I'm a huge fan of his, just like Agatha. And so it didn't take much for me to um, sort of connect with him in the biography. But yeah, we definitely go in depth, and um, you know, something that was fascinating with, with him was sort of following his journey of addiction and how that interplayed with what he was writing um and the characters that he was choosing and see, the I had no idea he, was he had an
2: addiction history
3: yeah yeah he did so um it uh alcohol and and drugs and so it was interesting to sort of see once he sort of sobered out um kind of what he was writing at that point compared to what he was writing. So, um, and just sort of when he, I know in what I learned about him is that he was kind of, you know, slapped up by his wife and said, you got to prioritize your your family and, and get off, get off these substances. And you could see that in his work. And, um, and there's also a, a tragic thing that happened to him as a child. Um, he witnessed a, a pretty tragic death. Um, and you can kind of maybe see that, the interplay of that. And so it's really cool as an author and as somebody who loves doing literature research and loves literary biographies to sort of piece together these things and and watch their lives unfold. Of course, with Stephen King, his life is still unfolding, which is really cool, um, unlike Agatha. And so, yeah, it was, it was a really cool experience. And then there's so much, you know, Agatha Christie, she tends to sort of have a um, a very general, like poison stabbing, she doesn't go supernatural. Um, and so with Stephen King, obviously the science kind of can go absolutely wacky because we're talking about time travel and all sorts of things. So <laughs> it's, it's a little different, but it was very fun. Well, I um,
2: see for Stephen King, you know, I'm, I'm like you, I, I started reading Stephen King when I was in my my teens. I. I actually had bronchitis and, and decided, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm laid up in bed. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to read um, The Stand. Scared the pee out of me because it starts off with like a respiratory infection. So I'm, you know, <laughs> melodramatic me. I'm thinking I'm going to die. I have this disease and, you know, I'm gonna yeah. be like a plague. So that kind of freaked me out. But I haven't really read any of his newer stuff. I, I think the last thing I read of his was The Dark Half. Mm-hmm. maybe Gerald's Game. Gerald's Game was kind of freaky, but, you know, um, that was... I would believe he was on drugs and drunk when <laughs> Gerald's Game. So.
0: Isn't that a movie? Isn't Gerald's yes, Game a movie? It's a great movie,
2: too. It's I think like, they made it a movie. I never saw the movie, so I don't know. It, I didn't even see The Shining until like two years ago.
0: Adina, we can't, we can't talk. I'm just... Okay. She didn't tell me, we can't be friends. I hear that. No, from <laughs> now, but isn't Gerald's game? Is that the one? Um, is that the We're, one? I've had a little bit. Yeah, she, get she gets yeah, handcuffed. She yeah, she's like tied bed. on the bed, and he yeah. dies. And there's like yeah. a, a dog. I watched the trailer for it, and I was like, I don't know if I can mentally <laughs> handle this right now. I just don't know. But I yeah. remember, and it that like that has stuck with me. I was like, oh man, like that's. Awful, that's just awful, but that would be my luck.
3: (laughs) It's a great, it's actually not every Stephen King adaptation is great, but that is a great film. Um, it's by Mike Flanagan, who did the Doctor Sleep film as well as like Haunting of Hill House, and um, you know, he's done some really great, great films and TV shows. So, that's an
1: interesting. That's an interesting comment. I wonder which ones do you not think were good translations to the film.
3: Oh, well, <laughs> I'm a huge Needful Things fan, and there has not really been a good Needful Things film. I would love to see that. Um, I didn't really like the the second, um, the the '90s Shining with um, that Stephen King signed off on um, the uh, miniseries with um,
2: Rob Stephen Lowe um, one with Rob Lowe.
3: It was Stephen Weber in that one. Yeah. And uh, of course I love, I love, you know, and it's funny because I love the Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, which Stephen King doesn't like, but you know, we can agree to disagree and, uh, and yeah, there's, I mean, there's several, films that they've made of Stephen King that I'm like it was okay but it could be better but Needful Things is like one of my absolute favorites and the Tommyknockers they could probably do a better one of that there's several yeah
2: yeah the Tommyknockers no I mean it it was fantastic
3: yeah actually I'm I think both adaptations of it were pretty good so I can't complain about that
2: i'm trying to think um yeah because my my best friend from junior high who passed away this year we had like a girls weekend and like binged just we did nothing except you know my my favorite thing to do is lay in bed right so we laid in her bed (laughs) and watched movies and and drank beer and ate but um So we watched The Shining and then we watched Mr. Sleep because she about had a coronary when I told her, you know, I haven't ever seen them. you know I mean? Movies aren't really high on my list of priorities. If I have the time, I'd rather crack the spine on a book and get into it and let my own imagination. And I think that's a problem with a lot of the Stephen King movies is there's no way to interpret Mm-hmm. or to visually pass off his total imagination and, you know, so much of the inner dialogue that takes yeah. place with his characters. I so. agree.
3: Dreamcatcher is a good example of that, um, where the movie wasn't very good and because it couldn't capture a lot of that inner inner dialogue and things like that so
2: and and I I, I will I will tell you I I don't watch a lot of movies that come out from from books that I've read and that I've loved because they can't I'm, I'm happier with my interpretation and my imagination of the whole thing versus what you know a screenwriter can come up with even if the screenwriter yeah. is because of the
3: limitations. Exactly. So there, there are limitations, and there always I'm seems to be that stop. kind of. When you, when you leave a, when you leave a, a movie that was based on a book you love, there's always something you're kind of like, oh, I wish they could have done this or that. But yeah, I agree.
2: Yeah. It happens just like probably ninety-five percent of the time. Mm-hmm. So I have yet to to see a based on movie that even came close to to matching the uh, the words on the page
3: so yeah
1: so i just i don't set myself up for
3: irritation (laughs) so
1: i have a couple of other questions then
3: yes
1: the first one about based upon what dina just mentioned yeah and that is the translation of the book to the movie Mm -hmm. and when she said that she read The Stand when she had bronchitis. And I I wonder if you think that the music that they used in the TV series The Stand was able to help translate the horror of The Stand to the viewer better. I think that because I think they had great music in that. What did you think of the series? is the first question?
3: Oh, I think it's good. I mean, I, I think they did a pretty good job. I'm glad that it they made it into um you know, a mini series um, because the stand would be really hard to cover in ninety minutes. Um, and yeah, the music for sure. Um, you know, and that's the thing is, is books, right? You only, it sounds like limited when you only have words, but when you have a whole team of people working on a film and you can, you you can have amazing composer and you can have somebody who really captures the atmosphere. Um, I'm, I'm a huge fan of when, you know, like Dr. Sleep, for example, I think was done really well. The Shining, like I said, because Stanley Kubrick kind of did his own thing with it, which I think was kind of actually made it a better film. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's a lot more in the toolbox uh, for filmmakers to sort of get into that scary. Of course, jump scares are probably easier in films than they are in books, um, and all those things. So it's you know I'm I'm a fan of both mediums, um, but like I said, there's just something about when you see a movie adaptation, it just it's always lacking something. Like like Dina said, but. But I'm a fan well, and of not this not guy.
2: everyone's going to be able to go above and beyond like Kubrick did, you know, he yeah. pretty much terrorized Cuz he's Kubrick. Characters.
1: I mean, he yeah. was him. Yeah. Well,
2: and and he terrorized poor poor Shelley what is her De Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. she basically That's had really a breakdown good. after it. So yeah. I did not it's know like, that. You just yeah. thought your
1: boss was bad.
2: Yeah. I <laughs> can imagine. Yeah. Like,
1: okay, I- I do have an important question to change the subject because I, uh, the people that listen to us will want to know, uh, again about this big time award that you've been nominated for. If you would talk about it one second, again about what it really is, and I think that people would like to know what's the process to get nominated. Did you have to do anything? Was it a surprise? Because I think there's a lot of aspiring writers that listen to us that would like to hear about that.
3: Sure. So um, the Bram Stoker um, Awards are horror. So, um, and that can be from middle grade um, all the way up. It can be poetry, um, even screenplays. uh, And there, you can be surprised by it. You don't necessarily have to do anything to get nominated. um, But there are... Certain rules that the Horror Writers Association sort of sets of of ways that you can sort of promote yourself for the award, um, and they take that very seriously. So I would suggest that if you are looking into wanting to get nominated for a Bram Stoker, that you go and read their rules. Um, And this is actually the season to start doing that right now. And that includes that you can send one email to the Horror Writers Association uh, members. That includes that you can um, send a, you can do one Facebook post, uh, I believe on a Saturday. Yes, one um, on the Horror Writers Association Facebook page um so but there are very very strict rules and you don't want to like you know start doing stuff and then get on the the bad side of the hwa uh, especially if you plan on being a horror writer for a long time um so i would really suggest that people look into that um and basically what that says is you just say you know for your consideration my novel, my short story, even nonfiction articles can get nominated. Um, So there's categories for many things. Um, And I also suggest that if you are a horror writer that you look into becoming a member of the HWA, you don't have to be a member um, to get nominated as far as I know. but it's also a great resource for horror writers out there uh, and um, just just a great place to sort of meet other people. And and when they do the Bram Stoker Awards, they also have you know, a convention of learning about writing and all sorts of different things. Um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of kind of how you can do it. And uh, many people will sort of offer their maybe... Um, uh, Kindle version of their book or their story um, to members so that they can read it before they vote. Those kinds of things. Um, but yeah, voting is starting now. So if you wrote something this this calendar year that you think uh, is worthy, for sure look into how you can appropriately um, advertise your work.
2: Yeah, and. and- you go to the bram stoker Awards.com. it has the information and in how to submit i just i went and scoped it out
3: yes you can it? you can submit to the um like kind of the jury um everyone votes so can uh, vote. but there's a finalist and there's a nominee so the jury kind of helps winnow it down and then everyone starts to vote after that but we you can make suggestions on what's going to be a finalist and um and then eventually you become a nominee if you make it from finalist to nominee so as you can hear there is quite a process and so that's why i really encourage people to uh to do the research for sure
0: i love it well on that note let's do closing comments questions statements It's ended on Talking about your Bram Stoker Award nominee. I love it. So, Russell, I'm going to kick it to you first for questions and close out.
1: I wonder if they did a dementia study on Shakespeare. They did one on Agatha Christie. I mean, his earlier historical plays versus King Lear. I wonder if they did one on Shakespeare. That's been with me this whole conversation since you mentioned it. So well, I'm going to actually know, go down the rabbit hole and see if I can find out.
3: Yes, let me know.
0: <laughs> Love it. Dana, well, what no, about I you? I
3: think
1: that they would have a
2: hard time because of the old English. So, I mean, like, how would you know? You know, I mean, there was a lot that you could hide behind not understanding the all the ins and outs of Old English. So okay. Um, so where can people find you and and your co-author because you, I know you write for your as yourself and then you also have a, a, a co-author, um, Kelly. Yeah.
3: Yes. so um, we have uh, several um, websites so I have Meghofall.com. Um, you can look up kellyflorence.com as well. And we also have horrorrewind.com, which is our podcast. Um, and we are, our books are available pretty much everywhere. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target, Walmart. Um, and, uh, I'm also on social media. I'm on, I guess it's called X now, um, and Instagram and Facebook and TikTok. And I'm usually under my name, uh, Meg Hofdahl. TikTok, I'm Meg loves horror,
0: and <laughs> Russell's just giving me crap because I'm like not a big TikTok fan. That's why I know, he's doing I know.
3: that. I know, I know, Amy. I know. We'll we'll get you over there too. <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so I mean, I'm pretty much everywhere. I'm hard to I'm hard to lose. So,
2: all right. Do y'all make your books available for the libraries as eBooks?
3: A lot of people. Uh, yes, so uh, make sure that, uh, you know, I'm trying to, I'm wondering if we're, I don't think we're on Libby. I've looked up before and I don't think we're on Libby, um, which is like how I love to get my library ebooks, but But um, we are available in libraries, uh, I know, as paperback. So make sure that you're asking your local librarian and your local independent bookstore um, for us. That's always wonderful. We love to support Libraries
0: and and local shops. Nice. No, I love it. TikTok is great for your genre or romance. Like I'm not a hater. I just don't want to make videos myself. Russell's just (laughs) never gonna live that. I'm never going to live that down, Meg, at all. (laughs) It's okay. It's okay. Yeah, I just went and looked in in
2: Libby and none of them are there. And that's like probably ninety-five percent of my books is is through Libby. Darn
3: okay. I'll, I will have to, I should talk to uh, my editor at Skyhorse Publishing and say, why aren't
2: we? On well, a lot of it is whether the libraries are going to, to buy it. So, you mm-hmm. know, you, you, you might be on there through, um, Overlook is what they used to be. Okay. So just, it just might not be offered in my libraries.
0: Well, you can yeah. always go and and get the paperback or you can re- have your librarian request it. But Meg, thanks for taking time out of your morning to come and hang out with us. It's always so much fun to get to talk with you. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Oh, absolutely. Well, you guys, we hope you all have a fantastic rest of your Monday, a great rest of your week. But until next Monday, everybody, bye for now.